Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> this will be the third lesson in this series, Looking Unto Jesus. Now, I, <clears throat> when I think about this, I, I know that I, I made mention of it last week, but it, it, to me it's an excellent illustration of the believer's life while in this present evil world that we see set forth with <clears throat> Peter when he was called out on the water by our Lord Jesus Christ to walk to him. And, you know, that, and, and we have to keep everything, in, and particularly in these last two chapters of this book, we have to keep them in the context of what he's already said. And the, and the reality of it for the child of God is this. We are righteous. You, you do understand that. We're not trying to get righteous. We're not trying to be more righteous. Now, we might, we might try, try and we should strive to bring our character and conduct into conformity to Christ. We should live in strict obedience in everything, in every area of our lives. I always think of this. You know, people say, well, you've got to have some kind of rules or regulations, some law to, to, to drive you to obedience. Well, Paul said this, whatever you do, now, this, ain't a, this ain't a Ten Commandment thing. He said, for whatsoever you do, what, whatsoever you eat, whatsoever you drink, whatsoever you do, do all of it how? To the glory of God. That should be how we regulate our lives. Does what I'm doing in my thought, in my word, in my action, in my activity... Does it glorify and honor God? And we ought to seek to live our lives according to that. It's nothing legal. Because, see, here's the thing. What constrains you to obedience? Now, let me ask you this. Let's put it in an in a illustration that we can all relate to, especially if we're married. What keeps you faithful to your wife or to your husband? Yeah, I've got in my safe, in my house, Locked up. Jeremy didn't even know that. <laughs> I have a copy of a 43, I got that right, a 43-year-old marriage certificate. And in 43 years, you know what's kept me from being, kept me faithful to my wife? If any, any thoughts or attitudes or ideas ever popped in my mind, I didn't run back in there and grab that frantically punch in that code into that safe and open it up and grab that document out and look and say, I've got a legal document that says that I'm married to her and I've got to be faithful. What constrains me? I love her. And she loves me. What constrains us to obedience? A legal fear? A, a promise of a star in my crown? A mansion over the hilltop? No. What Paul Paul made it clear: the love of Christ constraineth us. Huh? John stated it like this: We love Him, and we do. Why? Because He first loved us. Any other obedience outside of that is legal, mercenary, it's dead works. Fruit unto death, not acceptable to God, none of it. 
And so we have to realize before we ever begin to, to, to put into practice in our lives these things that the, the writer of Hebrews is setting forth for us, that we are already righteous. We're already accepted. We're already whole. You, you can't, listen, you cannot improve on a righteousness that is perfect. I don't know how many times I have to say that or how many times and I've encountered men and women in my life that somehow or another think that something that they do, aided by whatever aid or agency that they, most of them attributed to God the Holy Spirit, that somehow or another something that they do or something that they hope to do in the future is going to make them more accepted to God. Or it's going to change their standing before God. Or, or their absence of those things is going to make God angry with them. That's not scriptural. You and I are holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in God's sight. That's his words, not mine. And that's not taking that out of context. That is a believer, a justified saint's present abiding position. Starting right there, everything that has been done in my life since the Lord God revealed himself to me in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has not improved my relationship with God. It has not changed his view toward me, either positively or negatively. He sees me holy and complete in Christ. Period. People say, ah. I say, ah. That's what I say to you. Because it's a different kind of, of obedience. Now it is. And it's not filled, it's not, it, it's not that it doesn't have its own failures. Even I've I failed my wife. You failed your wife. I failed my kid. Yeah, I've got angry with my children. You ever got angry with yours? Does it make them not my kids? Does it not make me not their father? Not at all. Thank God our God doesn't deal with us like we deal with our children. The Lord God has never grabbed me by the collar and threatened me. He doesn't do that yet. My love, he moves us. And we, and we love him because he first loved us. You, in order to love this God, you've got to know of his love. What's his love? He set you on a straight and narrow. Brushed you, dusted you off, put your feet on the right path, and go along, little, little sheep, do your thing. And if you do enough, and you hold out long enough, and you stay on the path, and you don't veer too far to the left or the right, maybe, maybe, out there in the future, when you get there, I might let you in if you hadn't messed up too much. Is that what he says? No. No, what does he do? He carries us back home. He puts us on his shoulder. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And that's what all these Old Testament saints look to. Folks, that's what we look to. Abraham looked to a righteousness he had no part in producing or maintaining. And by God-given faith, he rested in that as his only hope. Here I am many, many years, thousands of years after it was, a couple of thousand years or more after it occurred. I'm looking back where? To the same righteous and to the same eternal promise that was made to Abraham in the person of God's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, we left off with this last week in light of 
of all these witnesses, and that's what these are, all these old these people that he listed in Hebrews 11, they're witnesses. Where are they at? They're the souls of just men and women made perfect. They're in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ. In light of the certainty that, that you and I fully possess right now, eternal life. Not a feeling. It's not something emotional. It's not some... Some sentiment that I have. I fully possess final glory based on the righteousness of Christ. And in light of the certainty that every person who is either ignorant of or not submitted to Christ's righteousness, their only ground of hope or cause of salvation, are lost, how in the world can you and me, as sinners by birth, by nature, by practice, and even by choice, how can we lay aside every weight? How can you do that? And the sin which does so easily beset us and run the race with patience. How can you do that? Well, he tells us. Look at verse 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. And if you'll notice, I, I didn't put it in my notes. I misplaced my pen. I got my pen. If you'll notice in, the, in your Bible, it's not. I, I wrote the verse out in here. That word hour, what them things called? It's, it's not parentheses, ampersand, what they call it. Yeah, it's a little, little like a, I don't know, Ken, what they call them things on the, on the keyboard where it's just a little square. Bracket. A bracket, there you go. <laughs> Told you I don't know that much. It's, it's in brackets. Or in, in, in my Bible, it's in italics. And when you see something in italics, what does it mean? It means it was added in. It wasn't in the original. And so when he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, it's not of our faith. What, is, what did Christ finish? Faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. You see what all these things do? They, they involve what? For me, for me to look or for me to consider and for me to not be weird or faint, what do they all involve? They involve our mind and our understanding. You've got to think about this. Huh? You have to think about it. And I always think about this, and this is the verse that our Lord continually puts into my mind, seems like multiple times through every day of my life. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I'm going to tell you what, 99.99999 with a line over it at the end of it means it goes on forever and ever of every problem, of every incident of unbelief, of every sin that we find ourselves involved in. You know what it's always traced back to? Not doing what our God said. How did he tell us to overcome? Try hard. No, 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 no. We overcome how? By the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of our testimony. How can you overcome Satan? How can you overcome your own conscience? How can you overcome the accusations of friends or family members that say, I know you, you can claim you're a Christian all day long, but I know what you've done. Well, I know what I've done too. Don't you know what you've done? 
I know what I've done this week. Thank God y'all all don't know. And I don't mean that like I've been a bad person. Don't, don't, don't say, well, my God, he's, he's just admitted he's an awful person. I'd, I've had to live with me this week. And I'm going to tell you one thing I am keenly aware of now at almost 65 years of age. My sin. Are you? It's in everything. So it's, it's even in my preparation to stand up and preach the gospel to you every Sunday. It's in my prayers. I, I'd be out there praying, and I, 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 I'm thankful for social media, but I hate social media too. Somebody will say something on there, and it'll be stuck in the back of your mind, and I'm one of these people, when I get something in my mind, I can't get it out of my mind. And I'll be out there walking down that path in prayer to our God and all of a sudden, I find myself not on thinking about him, looking to him. You know what I find myself thinking about? What somebody said on that gum social media. What is that? Huh? It's, it's a sinful prayer is what it is. It's not my mind stayed on him. It's my mind stayed on what, what affects me emotionally. Huh? Do, do you see that? And I would have never admitted that 35 years ago. I thought every time I hit my knees, it was I was I was holding this on my knees. I did. And I thought that everybody didn't pray like me, that they were unholy. Now do, do, do you see that? Do you see the folly of religion? How it puts us in a way that seems right but ends in death? Nobody told me that. And listen, no man taught me this. This is being taught of God. I see it in my prayers. I see it in, my, in, in, in the thoughts that I have toward individuals when they either wrong me. You know, or slander. Or slander somebody I know or I love. I readily I am, unlike my Lord, to react. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That's the mind that's supposed to be in us. Made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. What are we? We're servants. We're, bond, we're doulos, bond servants, bond slaves. We've been taken to the wall of God's grace and our ear has been bored through. And we say, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my life. I love everything. I want to stay with you. Right? So looking unto Jesus, the author of faith. Now listen to me. Believers are to lay aside the weight. We talked about that last week, so I'm not going back over it. And we're to lay aside the sin that so easily besets us, which sin I told you last week is what? It's unbelief. That's the one that gets us every time, more than any other. And run the race by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, I want to make this as clear as I can this morning. This looking unto Jesus... It's not something abstract. And it's not something mystical. And when I'm talking about looking 
unto Jesus, it's not a blind, ignorant leap in the dark either. You know, people say, well, I'm going to follow the Lord's will. How are you going to do that? I'm going to just close my eyes and we'll step this way. Now, that's not what looking unto Jesus is. It's not just plodding off in a way, hoping that I got everything right and it goes the right direction. This looking unto Jesus, it's, a, it's an act of the mind and it's an act of the understanding based on knowledge. That's why I quoted that verse to you a moment ago. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusts in who? In thee. I used to stupidly make this statement when I was an unbeliever. People would ask, and I, I used to, I used to, I remember when I used to deal with people like this, and this is just, this is, this is one of those crosses that I'll bear till my, till I leave this planet. I'd, I'd tell people, do you, I'd ask them questions. You know, I thought that was the way to, I'd ask them, and I'd ask them this question. Do you think you'll go to heaven? And people would ask me that question. Do you think you'll go to heaven? And I was claimed to be a sovereign grace, five-point Calvinist, whatever we call them, who knew him, there were hoops that we jumped through. Once saved, always saved. You know what my answer was and what their answer always was? I hope so. And then I would follow it up when I would, somebody answer me that, and I would say, I hope so. Here was my, my reasoning. I'd say, it's not that I doubt him, but I doubt who. Now, see, that sounds godly and moral and God-honoring. You know what that is? That's false humility. Number one, God ain't ever told any sinner to, to trust who? <laughs> himself. That's the problem. We have a, this, I passed by this place over here this morning, the, the bridge. Now, listen, we started, the group that now makes up the bridge, they started about the same time we started back out at Heiko, or back out at, in Dubai. They started in the backside of the little building down there on Reynolds Drive, down in there with about three or four families meeting in a room that they rented in there. Did it, it, those of y'all that came through the story? Did you notice how many this this place over here ain't been here ten years? You ever bother to look over here and see the see the parking lot full? Of, I, that's discouraging. Didn't you think? Well, well, been doing this thirty five years, and this, this is all we can. It's all we can muster. It's the best we got. It. It's, it's everything we need, huh? And I passed by there, and, and you can't help but think on things like this. We're humans. You pass by, and you look over, and you think, 250 cars in the parking lot. And drive over here, and there's Kenny's car was the only one here when I first got his one. And your mind's like, and those people, I guarantee it, every one of them feel good about what they're doing. And we felt good when we were in false religion. And we did it. It felt good to be back out there. I, I, I can never say at one point in time until the Lord taught me the gospel that I ever walked into Heiko on Sunday morning and didn't think, boy, this feels good. 
When that bus would, we bought that bus, when that bus pulled up and them little kids come filing off that bus. And when I'd walk out there and I'd look at that tote board that Bart had put up where we don't have one up here, but where that tote board was at. And I'd look and that number, had, when I went up there, it was like 45 and it'd be 75 up here. And I was like, we're doing the Lord's work. Huh? Thinking everything's right. Thinking everything is, is going the way that it, that it should be. And then we would put this false idea in the men and women's mind, not maliciously. I never did it maliciously. I didn't ever think, I never thought I was deceiving anybody. You do understand. I don't think those people are planning to deceive folks. But if you yourself are deceived, what's the only thing that you can do? A fault, listen, a, 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 a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. The only thing a bad tree can produce is bad fruit. And so they stand up and they tell people what? You got to try hard. You got to do better. You got to improve. You got to do this. You have to do that. You got to change this area of your life. And so I live with that false notion in my mind that somehow or another I was a better person for what I was doing than what I had been when I was not doing it. You ever been there? And then the Lord comes along with the gospel of his free grace and he tells me what? He did everything. Everything. And none of it rests on me. Ever. And then you look back and that's, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Most people, the unregenerate mind, can't turn loose all that old stuff. Well, but. I believe all that, but. It's Christ alone. You have to be right there in his totality. This command. The writer Hebrews gives here for us to look unto Jesus. This isn't a request. It's our responsibility to look unto Christ. This command, it comes on the heel of what the writer has already set forth in the previous chapter. What? The just, the righteous, the holy, the accepted, those made heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. They live how? My faith. And our Lord Jesus Christ completed this faith. Not, this, is not, this has got nothing to do with my belief. See, that's the problem. Religion puts everything on a center. You know, they, they think they, the, the work of my generation of the last probably 100 years, you know what it is? It's a man or a woman's belief. It's not what the, the just shall live by faith. It's not by my belief. Well, we do believe. But it's not by my belief. It's by whatever this is that Christ is the author and finisher of. And so we live by faith, meaning what? We live by confidence, a confident expectation of receiving what God has promised to you and me based on the object of our faith. What's the object of my faith? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if that's the case, I want to, want, want to ask a question and want to try to answer it. This morning and maybe next week because I'm going to be pushed for time. How, how, how do we do this? 
How do you do? Well, first of all, he tells us, we're to look unto who? Jesus. And it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, it's who? It's Jesus. Meaning what? Jehovah, our Savior. What's he mean by that? What's what's the writer of Hebrews pointing you and me to? He points us to Christ's person. Who he is. You do realize that right now, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, there's a man there. Huh? A glorified man. A glorified divine God-man. The one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And you and I are commanded by our God to look to Jesus, the Savior, who, listen, this person that sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, he has authority over all flesh. How do I know that? Well, our Lord Jesus Christ, he said this to the Father in his prayer. These words spake Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may, may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power, that's authority, over all flesh. All flesh in him what? All flesh. Human flesh. Animal flesh. The things of time and sin. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So we're to look to Christ who has authority over all things, who rules and reigns and disposes of all things, who loved us and gave himself for us, who's truly God and truly man, the one upon whom God the Father conditioned the entirety of our salvation is our surety, substitute, mediator, and redeemer. And when you think about it, if we, because to look, we have to consider it. Considering the excellency and glory of Christ's person, how can we doubt him? If the cost of our redemption was his blood, and he gave it, the glorifying honor of his Father and himself as both the just God and the Savior, how can we doubt that he will fail to bring us to glory? You think of the think of the, the the contempt that's cast upon Christ's person by saying that he shed his blood because men men try to they try to make God be like us and his love to be like our love and it's not. But they make statements like this, you know, that 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 Christ shed his blood for who? Everybody in Ruston, just about without, without exception, uh, there might be a few Presbyterian churches that kind of get right, but then they go swerve later. But how many of them this morning are going to say that, that God, Christ loves you, God loves you, and Christ died for you? And by you, who do they mean? Everybody. So they say his blood, they, they, they try to crunk on it this phrase, his blood was sufficient for all, but effectual for some. If it's sufficient for all, 
than all say, Kenny. I know the natural man just rails against that, but if he bore the sins of all men, he bore them in his body on the tree, they're done. And for me to say that, that there's some that Christ shed his blood for that can still perish in hell because they because it, see, cause it always gets back to conditions. Because they ain't tied or they ain't loved or they ain't had a strong enough faith or they ain't held out to the end. All those things that they list, what are they? Sin. Well, if you say Christ died for all our sins, plural, wouldn't that include them too? But then they have to make that exception. Well, it includes all of them but unbelief. Well, him that if you know to believe and you don't believe, the him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, what is it? It's sin. And he bore our sin in his body on the tree and by his stripes we're put in a healable position. No, we're healed. Look and you think about it. It denotes an act of faith accompanied with expectation. We don't look and say, oh, I hope he's, I hope he's going to bring me to glory. What do we, we expect it to happen. That's what the father of the faith did. Who against hope, believed in hope that what God had promised, gave glory to God. How? Believing that what God had promised, he was able to put me in a position to fill it, fulfill it. No, what God hath promised, he is able also to perform. Some of this is that we, upon consideration of the glory and the excellency of Christ's person, we expect salvation conditioned on him alone. Listen to you. And these Old Testament saints, they had the same hope. Listen to you. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there's no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior? What kind of God do you serve? A just God and a Savior. There's none beside me. So the, the true and living God, he distinguishes himself from every other false God by this method alone. He is just and he is a Savior. But he doesn't stop. Now, what did the writer of Hebrews tell you and me to do? Looking unto Jesus, the author and completer of our faith. Of our faith. Look unto me. It's Hebrews, Hebrews 45, verse 22. Look unto me. Look unto me who? A just God and a Savior. You see, all you got to do is, well, natural man can't do that. <laughs> Those of us that have been given eyes to see, ears to hear, heart, mind, will comprehend, you see the reality of this. Looking, look to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there's none else. I've sworn by myself the word. Right, Hebrews already told us when he could swear by no greater, what did he do? He swore by himself. I swore by myself the word's gone out of my mouth. How did it go out? 
righteousness. And shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. What are they going to swear? What are they going to bow to? Listen, devils in hell and lost men in hell ain't bound to this. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have our righteousness and strength, even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed, and the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified, be declared righteous, and shall glory. But here's the next thing. Christ is proposed to us in his mediatorial office, in his work. He says, the looking unto Jesus, he puts it this way, the author and finisher of faith. I mentioned it to you a moment ago, but I'll reiterate it for you again. That word ours in italic, so it wasn't in the original. The word translated author, the author, two English words. It means the chief leader, the prince, or the captain. That word translated finisher, now listen to this. Word translated finisher means a perfecter. One who has in his own person raised faith to its perfection. And so set before us the highest example of what faith is. The word translated of faith means a conviction or a belief respecting a man's relationship to God and divine things. Literally translated this verse is this, looking to the author and perfecter of faith, Christ. You think about this. By satisfying all the conditions of our salvation, Christ has merited for us the beginning and the final consummation of our faith, both objectively and and subjectively. That which is ascribed to the Lord Jesus Christ in his office in his work in his office in his work reveals that all of our salvation was conditioned on him alone. That's why the Apostle Paul stated it this way For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, that's his person, and him crucified. That's his work. That's the accomplishment of his mediatorial redemption. And this continual looking, this expectation of salvation and final glorification by Christ, is God's remedy for the weight and that sin that so easily besets us. And you keep this in mind as well. Any notion or idea of looking to any part of salvation suspended on ourselves, it's absolutely forbidden. The expectation of salvation conditioned on Christ alone, according to the promise, it's necessary in true Christianity, if we're truly Christian. And no sinner has any warrant to blame God for those who perish in their sin. It's sinful men and sinful women who have corrupted God's testimony and hid his promise from the minds of those who remain in darkness. And the thing that we're thankful for is what? God was pleased to reveal himself to us. Doesn't fill us with pride. We don't think of ourselves as somebody more important than 
Anybody else? The, the, you know what verse always rings in my mind? Romans 9. Remember when, when was it Rachel? Had, which one had Jacob and Esau? Or Rebecca? Rachel. Yeah, it said, listen to this. I mean, you listen to the way this is stated. And, and, I mean, I, I see it more clearly now than I've ever seen it in my life. For the children, he said, and not only this, but when when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father, I, it was Rebecca. <laughs> for, listen to this. For, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, and I got to thinking about that, that verse this week. Neither having done any good. Think about this. What does the scripture say about, about good? There's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. But he said before the, before the children were ever born, neither having done any good or neither. In other words, he didn't even take into consideration the evil. Listen, God knows everything. Knowing every evil action, every evil thought, every, none of it came into play. That the, here's, a, here's, here's, here's the key to it. That the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her something that had never happened in history. The elder is going to serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob have I loved without any consideration and, and, and when you look at their lives, Esau was not a bad person. He wasn't. And Jacob certainly wasn't a good guy. He was a, his very name, Jacob, means what? Schemer. Deceiver. He and his mama were criminals. Now they were. They deceived us. We know it was in God's plan and purpose. That wasn't something accidentally happened. It was God's will for who to be the chosen seed. Or who not, not to be, who was the chosen seed. Who was rejected son from eternity before they were ever born. Without any consideration of what they'd do, God purposed it and planned it. Esau have I hated. Well, I don't like that. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Heavens no. Huh? Why not? For he said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that does what? Shows mercy. See, there's folks out there don't think they need mercy. A sinner knows what? That's all we need. It's what we must have. It's the lifeblood of faith. It's the heart and soul of true Christianity. That God can be merciful to me, a sinner. True knowledge of Christ. What he accomplished for his people. And what he promises to do, continue to do for them. It's vital to the life, walk, and triumph of faith. All the believers' comfort. All their holiness. 
of life, where does it depend on? It depends on the fact that God is pleased with me in Christ Jesus. And although our salvation is certain, and our final glorification is secured both by the perfection of God's character and the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, while in this world, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to fight the fight of faith. And it's not a fight, it's not a, it's, it's not a race of, of obedience and works. It's a race of faith. Looking to <laughs> looking to Christ all the time. We have so many enemies, don't we? Within. The enemies within. You think about the demons we fight in ourselves. Our unbelief, our doubt, that's just, that's just what goes on in here. We're in danger from pains and heartaches of affliction. Our bodies wear out. Our eyesight dims. And we draw near with each step of our lives to the grave. Every one of us. Love of pleasure. <laughs> love of power. Love of influence. And the love of money. Huh? It, it, they're still there. All of them. And there are many things which tend to take priority over Christ. Our families. The enjoyments and appeal of the things of this world, time and sense. What do we have to do? How do we overcome that? We keep Christ and his gospel is the center of our life. Folks, he paid everything to redeem your soul. We, and, and this is hard for us to, to, I mean, it's easier said than done. We don't own anything. We don't own our life. We don't own our time. We don't own our wives or our children or their children after them. <laughs> what are we? All of them. We're pilgrims, vagabonds, just traveling through. And the less we attach ourselves to the things of time and sense, because all of it's going to fail. I hope you realize that. Every relationship you have in this life, what's going to happen to it? It's going to come to an end. Either through your death or theirs. What's going to be your comfort then? Huh? I mean, I, I've seen, I think, I think about that a lot. I've seen people that I know and love lose children. And I think, how do you get through that? I, I, I don't know if I could. <laughs> Well, that's the problem. I can't. I can't overcome any of that. He can. Because he's promised you and me. This is his promise from his words to our heart, mind, and understanding. He's made us more than conquerors. He's not making us more than conquerors. He's made us more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's how we, we begin to overcome. We'll come back. We'll pick up with the next part of this verse next Sunday. You're dismissed the worship. I appreciate your presence.